0: Hi guys, welcome back to our next podcast. My name's Alyssa Brown. I'm one of our BCBA's here at Empower You, and I am joined with a big group of people today. It's very exciting, um, so I want to give everyone the opportunity to say hi, introduce themselves before we get started. Hi everybody,
1: I'm returning also Melissa Riley, a BCBA with Empower You, and we also have another BCBA guest today.
2: Hi, I'm Leanne LaRusso, BCBA
0: at EmpowerU. And we also have some of our candidates.
3: Hi everyone, I'm Chris Bollinger, uh, Behavior Tech and Behavior Analyst Candidate. Hi everyone, I'm I'm Kevin. I'm also a BT and a
4: Behavior Analyst Candidate.
0: So like I said, we have a great group today. We're very excited. We wanted to welcome you back. Today's topic, we're going to be touching on uh, differential reinforcement. So we hope that you enjoy it. We're glad that you're here. We wanna also let everyone know, as always, we love feedback, so please feel free to reach out to us with any feedback, any recommendations that you have for future topics for the podcast. We want everyone to enjoy you know, what they're listening to and of course, continue to you know educate yourselves and expand your knowledge in the field. So please feel free to reach out to us with those. Yes, and just a reminder also,
1: this podcast today will count as an opportunity to collect a continuing education unit. One unit will be eligible. Um, How do you collect that? Complete the survey that was sent to you with this podcast link.
0: Okay, so we hope that you guys enjoy this, and again, please, please feel free to give us feedback and recommendations, and we hope you enjoy it. Alright guys, so like I first said, today we're going to be talking about differential reinforcement, which I know I say this pretty much with every topic, but I feel like we use it both in our professional lives, but also our personal lives. If you don't know the actual definition, I ensure that you're using it and you might not know it. So, we first want to start off with our definition, so Liam, would you like to give the definition for differential reinforcement? so differential
2: reinforcement um, combines the procedures of reinforcement and extinction so basically we are reinforcing desirable um, behaviors and we are putting uh, undesirable or unwanted behaviors on extinction there are mainly six types of differential reinforcement which we'll touch on each one and give examples for each type so the types are differential reinforcement of alternative behavior differential reinforcement of other behaviors Differential reinforcement of incompatible behaviors Differential reinforcement of low rates of behavior Differential reinforcement of high rates of behavior and differential reinforcement of diminishing rates of behavior Okay. So first we're going to talk about differential reinforcement of alternative behavior So we'll start off with the definition and then we'll go into some examples afterwards So the definition of differential reinforcement of alternative behaviors which is a very common type of differential reinforcement, Um, you will reinforce appropriate alternative behaviors while you are then placing inappropriate or undesirable undesirable
0: behaviors on extinction. Okay, so let's go into a couple examples of DRAs or differential reinforcement of alternative behaviors. So Chris, do you wanna start with your
3: first example? Uh, Yes. One example that comes to my mind would be working with a client who frequently uses obscenities. Yeah. And if the function is to get what they want, um, in a DRA procedure, you would only acknowledge and assist them when they ask for that thing in an appropriate way.
0: Right. So I think... I know what you're saying, but I'm gonna give the technical terminology. So for that instance, we have our functional communication training. And I think that's something that we all use with our clients. We all use, you know, with everybody, is just teaching those like appropriate responses versus the inappropriate ones. Right.
1: Every treatment plan really should have replacement behaviors identified um, as opposed to only outlining what we don't wanna see, right? So that's a really great example because it's talking about what are we replacing that thing we're trying to get rid of?
0: Right, because I think like if we're taking something away, then we have to teach yeah. them what we you know the the appropriate response we're taking mm-hmm. something away so they have to learn like, okay, what is it that they want to see or what, what is it that's desirable or appropriate? fill the
4: void somehow. Y- yes,
0: exactly, mm-hmm. perfect. yeah,
4: another really good example in a classroom setting is when a teacher is differentially reinforcing raising hand behavior versus calling out behavior. Mm-hmm. by only engaging with the student when they are raising their hand. And so you're increasing that likely for that to happen.
0: Yeah, another good That's example. Good Perfect. Um, and I also think of another one with a lot of my clients who – you know engage in attention seeking behaviors where maybe they'll like go to hit us or you know do something where they're trying to gain our attention so you know putting that on extinction but then teaching an appropriate way to get my attention so you know tapping my shoulder saying excuse me those little phrases you know that's the desirable behaviors that we want to see and we're reinforcing those while placing the other ones on extinction good example Okay, so now that we're done talking about the DRA examples, next we're going to go into some research that looks at DRA.
3: This article is called An Investigation of Differential Reinforcement of Alternative Behavior Without Extinction. This was by Elizabeth S. Athens and Timothy Palmer. This article looked at DRA procedures Uh, in particular without extinction. And the reason they wanted to look at DRA without extinction is because extinction is not always a viable option. Interesting. They examined DRA with the rate, quality, magnitude, and delay of reinforcement. The subjects were children aged 7 through 12, five of them in an inpatient setting, and two of them at a school. They found that all of the above dimensions were relevant, and that delay worked so long as it was long enough, and combining all of these elements gave them experimental control. They also found that there was some generalization with behavior change over time. There were some limitations with this article. There was no within subject comparisons. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the children in this study was receiving response blocking, which could function as a punishment. And it was also a study that could be hard to replicate in real life.
0: It's interesting that they did it without the extinction. Mm -hmm. But I find it, like, it makes sense to me, like how you said, you know, I know that. So they looked at the rate, quality, magnitude, and delay of reinforcement but obviously, like, I found they had the most experimental control when, like, everything was increased. So they were getting it more frequently, you know, higher magnitude, more, you know, a bigger piece or whatever. Then that's going to give you your best results. So that, that to kind me... Of makes sense, Yeah, right? of right. course. Well, here's, like, everything, yeah. and it's so great, and you're getting more of it. You're getting it quicker. Of course, that's going to, you know, yield the best results. But I find it interesting that they didn't use the extinction. But... I mean, it worked. Well, there can
3: be safety concerns with extinction. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, Elopement, aggression, self-harm. That's
0: a
2: good point. Right. Or setting-wise, too, it's not always possible. Yeah. In school, maybe. Yeah. It's not always possible for pure extinction. Yeah. That's
0: so true. All right.
2: Great, Chris. Thank you so much for the research. Okay, so the next um, procedure we'll cover is DRO. So that is Differential Reinforcement of Other Behaviors So in this procedure, you will reinforce um, a learner's behavior when a specific inappropriate behavior is absent during a specified amount of time. So a common example for this one would be um, a learner having a tendency to um, scream in the classroom. So their aide or the teacher would reinforce their behavior every five minutes only when they are not screaming throughout the five-minute interval. Um, So an issue with this procedure is also that you could still be, the learner could still be engaging in other inappropriate behaviors and receive the reinforcer as long as they're not engaging in screaming during that interval.
0: Yeah, I have a major issue with DRO. (laughs) I'm laughing because we all just talked about this before recording it, and I just find that to be such like a major limitation because... Yes, like, you know, we defined a target that we're looking at. We're looking at, like you said in that example, like screaming out in class or or whatever it is. And they could still be reinforced for anything but that. So to me, it's like, oh, great. You didn't scream, but you just, you know, punched Johnny in the face. But here's your token, you know. So it is effective. It is something we use. But I do think of that as like a major limitation. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Does anyone else want to? I think jump we, in on that <laughs> that's definitely true i think we were saying
1: um it's one personally i feel is easy to train in right in some cases so uh a lot of times it's easy to implement because you're simply just going off that one target problem behavior you're trying to avoid um, is it happening? Yes or no. It's it's a simple thing for most staff to recognize.
0: Right. And I know you were saying, like, it's something, you know, we've used a lot in schools, like, yeah. people that may not have had as much training where, like you said, it is easier because you're looking at one target behavior. Like, you're not going to have a DRO with, like... Like, a you know, any multitude of, like, target behaviors, like, you know, aggression, spitting, this, that. It's typically just one that we're looking at where, again, like, you're going to be reinforcing any other behavior. The omission
1: of that problem behavior.
0: Right, right. And I think – so I also want to touch on, you know, we were saying – in the example about having like intervals. So I wanna kind of touch on how DRA, DRO ties in with these intervals. Um, typically we do set an interval, you know, for this procedure commonly like I've used token boards or, you know, where they'll earn a token or whatever, you know, scheduled reinforcement for that um, behavior. So with those intervals, we always try to start them smaller. So we want them to be able to contact reinforcement by having a shorter interval and catching it almost before we see that target behavior. Right. So you might start with like a one-minute interval, something small that's also something achievable for mm-hmm. the youth too. We yeah. want it to be Apparently. something that's more valuable and more reinforcing than engaging that behavior. So
1: give them a reason to
0: right, right want
1: to not do that behavior. So we can't make it so difficult that they can't achieve
0: yeah the reward. Right. Right. So we want them to be able to contact that reinforcement and see, you know, basically mm-hmm. the expectations of like, okay, I can earn this token shorter intervals and it's, it's better than, you know, engaging in the, the screaming or the shouting or whatever it is. Which so. over
1: time, of course, is stretched stretched right to be a longer interval as we can start to predict better behavior over longer periods of time.
0: Right. So so that's DRO. That's like, you know, the limitation, the examples. Um, but again, it is something that we still use, you know, in pretty much any environment school, home, anything like that. But um, it is used and it is still effective, even with the limitations.
4: You know, you could actually indirectly re- uh, reinforce another target yeah. problem, another mm-hmm. problem behavior. So that, I. Yeah, I can see what you mean by it being a limitation.
0: Right, absolutely. But, um, you know, it, it is... sounds like
4: it can only really be used for specific situations. Right,
0: yeah. and I think, like, I, what I've seen, too, is, like, it could be used with very, like, intense or severe behaviors, even if, like, let's say it's, like, aggression or, you know, SIB, mm-hmm. self-injurious behaviors. Like, that might be something where you can use it because even if they are, let's say, shouting or whatever, yes. it's not yes. as yes. severe as them hitting another student or or you know hurting themselves so yes we don't want to reinforce those other behaviors but it could still be necessary for something that's more severe
1: that's a good example because yeah it's like the lesser of two evils right right right. if you're trying to get someone to stop being self-injurious then the fact that they're twiddling with their pen is not so bad
0: right all right, so now Chris is going to go into another article um, that's looking at differential reinforcement of other behaviors.
3: Yes, so this article is called Rules and Statements of Reinforcer Loss in Differential Reinforcement of Other Behavior. This article was by Ianna Cohn, Louis Hakopian, Nord Javed, John Barrero, and Jennifer Zarcone. This article examined DRO with rules and compared it to DRO without rules. The participants in this study were three children, ages nine through 16, and all had aggression, self-injurious behaviors, and other disruptive behaviors. A preference assessment was done to determine what each participant's reinforcement should be. Um, And then they did three rounds of DRO. First, they did DRO with no rules stated in which they would only provide the reinforcement to the child. Then they did the rule being stated at the beginning of the session mm. <laughs> and for the last round they stated the rule at both the beginning and the end of the sta- of the session and they found this procedure to be the most effective
0: shocker they provided <laughs> <laughs> they provided the expectation the rules you know that. before after and reinforcement shocking that that was the most effective <laughs>
3: Now there were some possible limitations to this study. One was that lower rates of behavior in the final phase could be due to the previous phases.
0: So it's almost like that learning history, like yes. understanding what what the actual expectations are and and learning as you go, right? Exactly. That makes sense.
3: Um, also, the intervals were short. And not thinned. And finally, there was no assessment of participants' ability to understand the rules.
0: I find that to be alarming. Yeah, I I, could, I wasn't sure what the right word is, definitely. but like before you do an intervention, you have to make sure that they're capable, right? So like, right. if they. If these, you know, participants aren't able to like comprehend and understand the rule that's giving to them, sort of then like it's, that it's a moot point, right? It's like okay, well, then all of them should have been even. So mm-hmm. it's it's surprising to me that they didn't first like make sure that they were able to right. follow a rule Especially before if starting. That's something you're examining, right? That's like the right. major right. part the of the of study of is before and
2: after. But you don't know if they can even comprehend,
0: right? Right. So that, to me, is like a major limitation and something that should be brought up because we always, before interventions, want to make sure our clients are capable of of doing it or it's in the repertoire that they understand it. It's a major limitation. (laughs)
3: Uh, I agree, and that should have been controlled for, I feel, in the study. And, for example, I've worked with clients where it was not apparent to me that they understood what I was saying right Mm -hmm. but they were responsive to other forms of communication yeah okay so in a situation like that I think it could be appropriate to simply deliver the reinforcement without saying anything right with that being said I perceive most of the young men I work with to Mm -hmm. be plenty capable of understanding what I'm saying right so to say nothing to them
0: Mm mm-hmm
3: not only do I think that would be ineffective, it almost gets a little bit into a client dignity concern right. for me. Like, you're not treating them with respect.
0: The only other point that I have that kind of goes against that, not that I I don't disagree with you, because I think, you know, we should be, like, giving them the rules and the expectations. But, I mean, I'm sure we've all come across, too. Like, I have clients that you can't give them specific praise. Because the second I say, like, nice job having oh, your hands to true. yourself, they're going to smack me across the face. Yeah. So, it's like... <laughs> maybe sometimes we can't give the praise for what we want to see, and it is just, like, a slide of a token or a piece of a chip or whatever it is. Because, like I said, the second – I'm thinking of one kid specifically. The second that I give praise for a specific thing, he's going to just, you know, mm-hmm. go against what I'm saying and, and, you know, spit in my face or hit me in the face or whatever it is going against that. So – I could see both sides of it, and I guess just like everything else, it has to be individualized. So just knowing your learner
3: and you stole the word from my mouth. Yeah, <laughs>
0: but I mean, but that's again, it's what we do, right? But you would everything. Have identified
1: that prior, to, prior, right? You would right. Have already known that too,
0: so right, and gearing it towards your specific learner. You're still gearing
1: it towards the learner, right?
0: Yeah. So, but that was another interesting article. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. Okay, the next
2: procedure we're going to cover is DRI, so that is Differential Reinforcement of Incompatible Behaviors. Um, So in this procedure, you're going to reinforce appropriate alternative behaviors that cannot exist at the same time with the inappropriate behaviors while you place the inappropriate behaviors on extinction. Um, An example of this one might be a child biting their nails. Um, You would withhold reinforcement for the youth engaging in nail biting and teach them to put their hands in their pockets instead and reinforce the child putting their hands in their pockets.
0: Right, because if their hands are in their pockets, they can't be in their mouth biting their nails. Exactly. So that's what makes them incompatible. Very good. I also have another example that we did with a student um, when I used to work in a school where, when he was uh, walking to lunch, you know, the hallways were very busy. There was several students all the time, and he would engage in aggression, aggression towards peers in the hallway. So instead of the aggression, we used a DRI, and we had him carry a lunch tray. So he was using two hands, carrying the lunch tray, and he was unable to um, engage in the aggression and I feel like that one was also very appropriate because it also wasn't stigmatizing. Like it's appropriate yes. to carry mm-hmm. a lunch tray, yep. you know. Because that, you know, is another thing, obviously, in the schools and and everywhere that we want to look at. But he was in the hallway with you know the general ed mm-hmm. students, but it wasn't stigmatizing to him where it was like, okay, he's just carrying a lunch tray. So that was one of my examples. I like that example.
1: I have a similar one, not stigmatizing. If a child is sitting next to a peer in a classroom or any kind of group setting and is aggressing towards that student sitting next to them, one thing could be can you, a teacher or instructor could say, could you come with me and take a walk or make it as though, it's not punishing in any way, but make it like, come with me and let's deliver this thing. Let's go do a, a chore. A job, right. Um, so again, it's not stigmatizing. You're not putting attention
0: on it, mm-hmm. but it
1: is incompatible mm-hmm. because now you're not even in proximity of that other student.
0: Right, very good.
4: I have one example, Um, a case of mine, I know somebody who will take maybe like a piece of their toy, um, something usually sharp, and they're sort of drawing on the table, and it makes marks on the table, so it's kind of an unwanted behavior, so I I guess one way I would use the RI to, you know, stop that would be to give that person some other object that's not sharp, or maybe something for their hands to be playing with, like Play-Doh, and that way they can't engage in that and cause that kind of damage. Very good. It's a good one.
0: Yeah. I also want to add, so with DRI, um, I think an important thing to talk about. So when we see such like severe behaviors, you know, self-injurious, aggression, anything that's super severe, I feel like a DRI is the best go-to intervention Mm -hmm. with differential reinforcement because if you're doing something that's incompatible you don't even have the opportunity to engage in that target behavior. So like in these examples, like mine with carrying the lunch tray, if your hands are occupied holding a lunch tray, you don't even have the opportunity to hit a student that's passing you. But like, let's look at a DRA or a DRO where like, yes, they're effective. But if you're just using, you know, like, let's say a token board for a DRO, like they still have their hands free. They could still do it. That could be more reinforcing in that moment to hit – you know, Johnny, at poor Johnny, I always use Johnny, but <laughs> if they punch Johnny in the face as he's walking by, like they still have that opportunity. Whereas an incompatible behavior, you don't have that opportunity. You're doing something that doesn't allow you to have that opportunity. So I think it's important to note that and it could be something that's used, like I said, for more of the severe behaviors or something that is occurring at such a high rate, anything like that, um, where they don't have that opportunity
1: one way i like to think about differentiating between dri and dra is that every incompatible behavior is also an alternate behavior but not every alternate behavior is necessarily incompatible
0: right right and i think that can get very wordy Mm -hmm. and confusing but i think when you're looking at a DRA and a DRI, it's hard to maybe differentiate between the two. So I wanna back up that statement, Melissa, with um, an example. Sure. So let's say you're in a session and you're working with a kiddo who likes to just scream in your face to get your attention, right? So a DRA you might teach could be tapping you on the shoulder. That's gonna gain your, you know, get your attention. Or a DRI could be maybe teaching them to say, excuse me, Alyssa, because if they're saying, excuse me, they're not screaming in your face. So in that instance, we have our DRI as using functional communication training and our DRA is tapping the shoulder. Mm -hmm. So again, that um, functional communication training, the incompatible behavior, that is still a functional alternative. It can be a DRA, but the DRA of tapping the shoulder is not incompatible. If I'm tapping your shoulder, I could also be screaming at you. So again, an incompatible, can also be an alternative, but not every alternative has to be incompatible. Perfect.
2: The next procedure we're going to cover is DRH. So that is differential reinforcement of high rates of behaviors. Um, In this procedure, one's behavior will be reinforced when the rate of the response is higher than a predetermined criterion. Um, This procedure focuses on increasing the number
0: of occurrences. Okay, so it's used for behaviors good. that we want to see increase. Exactly, in frequency. Right, mm-hmm. okay. Does anyone have any good examples of a DRH? I feel like these. this one is a little more difficult to talk about. A little bit, but I for some skill acquisition goals,
1: mm-hmm. um, I know that, for instance, when we're trying to increase the rate of manding, for example, mm-hmm. um, for some nonverbal learners, maybe we're trying to shoot for a higher amount. Once we get our baseline right, right. then we can decide uh, the target amount, the target frequency. So we'd be looking for a higher amount of uh, man's to reinforce.
0: Okay. What would be
1: another example?
4: I think of social skills as well, initiating conversation. Yes, very good. And uh, another one that I like uh, for wellness is drinking more water. Oh yeah. Throughout the day, maybe eight cups. Eight cups
1: that you can measure, right? So but something measurable. Taking one step back to the social skills, I I like that that idea a lot. I think that this sometimes doesn't get enough attention. Oh yeah. I think the social skills goals, um, but if we're trying to increase interactions, and we need to make them measurable, right, or or otherwise. We really can't track it. So right, because what's an
0: interaction to you could exactly. be different than what I'm thinking an interaction could be. And so if we can make the,
1: um, the goal measurable in terms of maybe initiations or responses of a learner.
4: Mm-hmm. Asking questions. Asking
0: mm-hmm. questions, that's good. Taking turns. I was going to say turn-taking mm-hmm. during games or anything like that. Compliments. Compliments. Positive statements. I've I've
1: used positive statements pretty frequently. Right.
0: Um, As long as,
1: again, we have a good idea, we we define what that looks like, then we can
2: track instances. Right. Okay, so we spoke about what differential reinforcement of high rates of behavior looked like. So now we'll get into differential reinforcement of low rates of behaviors. Um, So this is a differential reinforcement procedure that involves um, reinforcing the rate of one's behavior when it becomes lower than a predetermined criterion. Um, This procedure is used to reduce a behavior to acceptable levels um, and it does focus on reducing the number of occurrences. Uh, So next we'll get into
0: some examples. Okay so I could think of one example and I actually remember this from when I was still in school where my professor gave an example um, pertaining to his daughter. So for all you parents out there, you might have experience with this, but he was saying that his daughter would get up you know after they put her to bed and she'd get up for water and the bathroom and to say I love you and all these things so they wanted to decrease her coming out of her bed so they put a DRL procedure on where she was given a certain number of times that she could get out of bed over time they decreased the criteria so that it would decrease but I think you know like what you said Leanne DRL is important where it's getting to like a stable rate a lower end stable but it's not eliminating it completely because you know, we still want, in this example, the daughter should still get out of bed if she does have to use the bathroom. We don't want to eliminate that forever, but we want to kind of... Bring it to an acceptable rate. Exactly, yeah. So that's my example. (laughs) Does anybody else have anything to go with DRL? I could think of
1: an example of being in a classroom and we're trying to to maintain a child's ability to ask questions and raise their hand. Mm. We don't want to punish that action of raising your hands and asking questions. However, um, I think everybody knows of particular students who could possibly over-raise their hands, and maybe then it becomes attention-seeking or whatever it might be. But in that instance, we're not trying to punish the behavior. Mm -hmm. We're trying to bring it to acceptable rates.
0: Right. And as you were talking, I kind of was just... Thinking about DRLs in general and like where we use them. And I think, like, when you're first teaching a skill, that's when we see such a high rate, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think of hand raising if we're trying to teach that as a replacement, where we're gonna honor that in the beginning every single time. So they could be raising their hand 500 times, but we're gonna honor it because that was an appropriate way. But now that we know how to do that, now we're going to put it on a DRL and get it back down to a stable, low rate. You know what I'm saying? So it might be something like that where in the beginning when you're teaching something, you are going to honor everything. And then they get very comfortable with doing it, doing it, doing it. And then we have to bring it back down. So Does anybody have any other examples? I think another one, too, guys, um, like during our sessions is – our kids asking for a break. Like, that's, you know, like, they, again, when we're teaching maybe, like, functional communication training or coping skills, if they're asking for a break, we're going to honor it because, guess what, they're not punching me in the face. They're asking appropriately that, you know, they need a break, they need a minute, so we might honor it, and then, of course, our friends become very you know, comfortable and they're asking, asking, asking. So then we might have to have a DRL where Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, you only get five breaks during this session instead of a hundred, you know?
3: I think some of our learners are very cognizant of the treatment plan. Oh yeah, (laughs) well, that's what it is.
0: And that's like, I mean, you have to honor it at first because it is appropriate, but then we have to reel it in. So I think that's another way, like a DRL could be an appropriate thing that we use.
3: (laughs) Okay, now that we know what DRL is, we are going to go over a research article entitled, Using Differential Reinforcement of Low Rates to Reduce Children's Request for Teacher Attention. This article was by Jennifer Austin and Deborah Bevan. So this article involved three elementary school-age girls who were identified by their teacher as excessive attention seekers, which I thought was an interesting criteria. (laughs) This behavior was identified as disruptive to the work in the classroom. Um, They defined requests for attention as raised hands, calling out or leaving seat after being told to sit um, and approaching the teacher. Eventually, they also included bathroom break requests. Frequency data on a minute-by-minute basis for 20 minutes was collected, and this would be done no more than two times a day, two to three times a week. First, they did baseline data collection um, with typical reactions from the teacher. Um, in addition, during this baseline period there was already a point system in place in the classroom uh, for the whole room. Interesting. After they were done collecting baseline data, the researchers calculated a mean number of requests for attention and asked the teacher what they thought was an appropriate level. Each student in the study had a card with boxes on their desk for each request for attention. And if they had a box left open at the end of 20 minutes, they could earn a point towards the classroom point system. Mm. And in this classroom point system, the students were all organized into teams. They then returned to baseline, and the students could still earn points in the original system during this return to baseline, just not part of of the um,
0: class system.
3: Yes. The teachers found they had 100% adherence. Wow. Yes. (laughs) And so they deemed the intervention to be successful and effective and easily implemented, and the teachers afterwards reported to the researchers that they wanted to continue using this system. That's great. That's That's interesting. They also found that the students were getting more work done, and the students were more likely to use dictionaries when they needed help
0: instead
3: instead of of asking. asking for help. Wow one confounding variable in this study is that because of the team-based that point was, system that's that already exactly existed. what I was going to bring up.
0: Yes.
3: Yeah. <laughs> there could be peer influence. They don't want to let down their classmates. I
0: 100% think that. Like, I wonder, which I don't know if we're, you're going to get into that with like limitations, but if it wasn't, like you said, a group-based thing, like if it was just individuals, I wonder how that would affect it. Because like you said, you don't want to be the one to let your team down or your group down. So I could 100% right. see that being such like a big variable mm-hmm. in this study.
3: Which they never controlled for. I, there really is no way for them to c- control for that. Right. Um, something I enjoyed about this study is I felt like the treatment plan was very user-friendly. Oh, yeah. That's great. Absolutely. And an eye towards what could be easily implemented. I did find it interesting that... The criteria for being involved in this study was that the teachers identified you as an att- excessive, excessive attention seeker. <laughs> I, I, I heard that. And I thought it would be interesting. I guess they can't do this for ethical reasons, right. but be interesting to know at what rate the other students in the class. Oh, right. What for makes attention. it excessive?
0: Right. At what? What's like the definition? criteria? What's right. the definition? Right. Is this you just know? an
3: interpersonal dynamic between the students right. and the teacher?
0: But let me ask That's you, Chris. So, like what it what was like attention defined as was it asking questions what or was it more you know what I mean like because that's the thing too where I think a DRL is appropriate for this because we want it might lower but we still want it in the repertoire because if they need help like I like how it was like it increased their the dictionary too. like go to the dictionary first but then like they would still be able to ask but you don't want them to be punished if they don't know something and they feel like they can't ask because then they right. won't earn that point for their group or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, I feel like it's a fine line, so I just wonder what they considered, you know, like, excessive. I know it was, like, bathroom breaks and this and that, but if they could still appropriately ask if they need help or if they don't know something. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying?
3: Right. Um. It, so for this study, the... Request for deten- uh, for attention was a raised hand, calling out or leaving your seat without
0: permission. Okay, so and that makes sense. So as long as they, you know, raised their hand and asked appropriately, I feel like right. It's, so it's yeah, probably just like the kids inappropriate, are excessively raising their hands, right, or getting up without asking, mm-hmm. where it's like disruptive. Right. But I just feel like the big part of this is like the group contingency, like you know what right. I mean. Uh-huh. If it wasn't like dependent on the whole group getting a point i just wonder what it would look like and that might be something like nice to see if they ever do like replicate this like in the future if it's just individualized you know yes. what it would look like yes. but i thought that was a great article i'm that happy to hear that it was 100 percent successful too i think it's mm-hmm. great you know
4: but what i love about it is that the teachers continued using the procedure right after yeah. yes i think it's amazing Plus, right. Plus you got good results. And it's easy
0: to implement. Like you said, like, you know, having something on their desk where they check off, you know, or cross off the box or whatever and if there's any remaining you get those points like it's you it's also like self-management right. too, yes. right? Like that is or I'm assuming the participants mani- monitored their own Behavior, which I think like that's super user friendly too. Yeah, for schools and teachers and everything. I feel like I'm talking a lot with
1: candidates also always about you know a a plan can be really really good, but if it's not user friendly, oh absolutely, it's going to go nowhere. It's not going to be sustained. So this is really speaking to that fact that it was easy to implement, right? And so it's going to be sustained, right? Right. Because
0: especially in Mm -hmm. a classroom, if you think like a typical classroom where there's I mean, I don't know what school sizes are nowadays, but, like, 20, 25 kids right, or whatever, right. like, the teacher's not going to be able to come and exactly. check off everyone's right. boxes, so. Right. Like, maybe they have one aid, so, you know. Right. So it's not
2: going to be circulating doing that for everybody, so for them to do it themselves is huge. Yeah.
4: That's probably why the group part it's is such necessary. a big factor. Yeah.
0: Great teacher. Great idea. I know. I really <laughs> feel like that was, like, really great, so. Thanks, Chris. That was very good. It was a good one. Little- <laughs>
2: Okay, the next procedure we're going to talk about is differential reinforcement of diminishing rates. Um, So in this procedure, there are time intervals with predetermined criteria that will lower over time. So when the individual meets the criterion, um, their behavior will be reinforced. Um, So a lot of times this can be broken up into intervals, um, and if the client engages in the behavior a certain amount of times to meet the criterion, um, they'll receive the reinforcement and then it will be lowered from there. So then they'll have to engage in a behavior under a certain amount of responses for the next criterion to receive the reinforcement. Um, so next we can talk about a few examples.
0: Do anyone have anything? So I immediately think of um, someone who's maybe like trying to quit smoking. Like let's say they I don't really know anything about smoking, so these numbers might be way off everyone. But I'm thinking, like, if they smoke, like, let's say 20 cigarettes a day or something, and then, you know, they don't want to go cold turkey and then go to zero, so maybe it's, like, 20 a day, then it's, like, 15, 10, like, they're going down and down and down and lower to to when they might eliminate it completely. So that's one example I'm thinking of.
1: That's a good example. I like that. I'm also thinking about joking. Uh, making jokes so again it's it's one of those things that Would not be necessary to completely eliminate, but we probably don't want um, Joking made constantly in every context for instance a child in a classroom who's just like one joke after another uh, Maybe this is okay when you're talking to a peer or during recess or in the cafeteria, but then when a teacher's talking and you're making joke after joke after joke. That might be something that we want to lower. Lower.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a good example. I have one, too. Um I can think of it kind of with myself, but also with clients. Um, she tends to snack a lot during uh-huh. her break oh, yeah. periods. So, like, there could be a period where she might mm-hmm. eat 10 bags of smart food popcorn in 10 minutes. So... Um, maybe allowing her to have eight bags to start with <laughs> and then she can receive access to her phone or something that's desirable and then from there the next interval might be she's allowed to have fewer snacks from there and then she would right. receive reinforcement. Right, that's okay.
1: a good one. Mm-hmm.
4: And another example is cursing. So oh, yeah, uh, some people like to curse a lot and some people don't like that other people curse a lot. So using this procedure you can try to reduce that like a common example is maybe a child is playing video games and they curse while they're playing that online competitive video game and so maybe you want to reduce the cursing from 10 words to maybe two words to an acceptable amount of course that's dependent on the context in the family
0: right 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 and also like like, I feel like that's a good, like, personal one. Like, I know, which I didn't even say that she has, but, like, I get road rage sometimes. And, like, I'm a very happy person in every other aspect of my life. But, you know, I guess I'm a typical Jersey girl driver, and I just get road rage out of nowhere. So, I feel like I could definitely use that for myself when I'm in the car. <laughs>
4: that's Yeah, good or just working around children like yeah can't be you have to right, regulate yourself right and
0: i do regulate myself everyone i don't want to, <laughs> to think i going into homes cursing i can it's situational i guess it stays in the car it does, into exactly the session. right there you go. exactly <laughs> okay so now that we've talked about drl and drd um i think it's fair to say that they sound very similar They're both looking to reduce a behavior that you might not want or you're trying to eliminate. So we kinda wanna touch on how they're different from one another. So firstly, for DRL, that's something that you're trying to reduce, but you also wanna keep in your repertoire. So you might wanna have it at a lower rate, but something that's appropriate, but it's not completely gone. But DRD, It also could lower, but it also gives you the opportunity to completely extinguish or eliminate a behavior. So the main difference between those two, again, is that DRL looks to just lower, Mm -hmm. where DRD also gives you the opportunity to completely extinguish.
4: So, like, for DRL, like, maybe making jokes is not something you want to completely extinguish. Right. If you want to have that... because it can
0: be appropriate right Right. and you want to have that in your repertoire but at higher rates it might not be appropriate where like we gave the example of smoking for drd that Mm -hmm. might be something well it could right you want to be completely rid of so that would be a drd because you're eliminating it completely so that's like the one major difference between the two but i also want to touch on Um, another difference. Um, So for DRL, when you're looking at this procedure, it's looking at the frequency of of a response or a behavior that you're looking at. So you're always gonna see it as a criteria, a number. So maybe five times, three times, two times, whatever, whatever number you're looking at to maintain. Whereas DRD is looking at an inner response time. So again, that's the time between two different responses. So it's looking at an interval. It gets a little hairy, we've had many conversations about this as a group today, but I want to give an example that kind of might give you a better understanding of it. So we talked about um, clients, or not clients, kids in a classroom who might be raising their hands too many times, um, asking questions or interrupting. So if we're looking at a DRL procedure, let's say we give them the number of three times per hour. So again, that's looking at the frequency. You have three times to raise your hand during this hour and that's it. Now, if you were using a DRD, it's going to use intervals. So instead of a frequency, it's going to say, you can only ask a question every 20 minutes. So again, they're both looking at three times during that hour, but the DRD is looking at an interval or the time between the responses where the DRL is just giving you a number for that whole hour. So again, the DRL is looking at a frequency, so it's always going to be a number where the DRD is looking at the time between the responses. Essentially, they're both lowering that rate of behavior, but one is a frequency and one is based on intervals.
4: Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna bring up an article called uh, Comparison of Differential Reinforcement Procedures for Treating automatically reinforced behavior and I picked it because I thought it'd be interesting to look at comparing these different procedures and kind of seeing if one could be more effective versus the other. And so it was by Chelsea B. Headquist and Aileen M. Roseco. And so the purpose of the study was to compare DRO and DRA contingencies in the treatment of stereotypy when neither procedure included response blocking or response interruption so they mentioned in the article that previous studies would include response blocking or response interruption you know mm-hmm. related to stereotypy and they they were able to say you know that's problematic because not everybody's going to have the caretaking capabilities to be doing that you know Well, because i feel like you need that
0: one-on-one for someone to, you know, block a response and they might not always have that one-on-one interaction.
4: So, agreed, and it's just not practical. So they wanted to see, well, maybe we don't need to do that. Let's see what happens if we just use these procedures. Um, And so why do they also, I thought this was very interesting, you know, the reason why stereotypy, like, needs to be addressed is because it can interfere with wellness and Mm -hmm. accessing social reinforcers. So this is a quote, you know, maybe... Socially stigmatizing limit opportunities for appropriate social interactions, yeah. interfere with daily living skills such as leisure engagement, vocational tasks, and other self care tasks mm-hmm. and interfere with skill acquisition in academic settings so right. I thought that was a very important thing to cover because you know ethically speaking, we could say that people engaging in stereotypy maybe shouldn't be a problem, but if it stops people from learning new skills
0: and if it's then you can make that argument. such so many different areas too like like you said skill acquisition daily living socially you know probably academically right. if they're not attending you know so it's definitely hitting into all those realms
4: exactly so they, I thought that was awesome they succinctly put that there and so so the authors had three uh, subjects I think two of them were 14 year old boy and another one was a 16 year old and they pretty much recorded three types of behaviors and it was um, stereotypy, engagement with an activity, and then productivity, which was characterized as completing a task.
0: I Can I... I yeah. I'm not sure if you're going to go into this or not. Is it motor st- stereotypy or vocal stereotypy? Does it specify?
4: I don't remember them specifying it, but I okay. think it was like... When when I was reading it, I was understanding it as motor stereotypy. Okay. So, some important things that they did uh, to control for variables was that they ruled out that... The stereotypy was functioning like for social reinforcements, so they were able to rule that out, and which is good because you want to know that it isn't automatically reinforced mm-hmm. behavior.
2: Right.
4: Um, and then they also did a paired stimulus preference assessment to find out what highly preferred edibles that these subjects wanted, and they did that so that they could um, reinforce the DRA and DRO procedures. Mm. And they also assess what kind of tasks they're more likely to do when prompted, uh, or even engaged in without prompt or reinforcer. So an example is like shirt and towel folding. So or,
0: something like low effort that they're going to comply with.
4: Exactly. Stamping and stuffing envelopes was selected for one of them, and That's they even yeah, and they recorded <laughs> like how much they engaged. Uh, so they recorded. They had three conditions, they had no reinforcement baseline, Perfect. so they probably just see, you know, how much stereotypy are they doing, and then a DRA, and then a DRO procedure. So just to be clear, the DRO is that after a certain amount of omission interval, they would then receive that reinforcer, which is inedible, and then a DRA would be completing some sort of task or engaging with something other than the stereotypy. Okay. Let me see something here. Okay, just wanted to double check something. Should I go over how they define stereotypy and engagement? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. okay. Okay. So, so that actually goes right into that question, right? So the stereotypy that they were talking about was, hand uh, hand wringing, mm-hmm. circular waving, jumping, finger swiping on desks, and yeah. other repetitive hand movements. For another learner, there was body rocking, hand waving, hand flapping. Finger tapping, finger flicking, and I know the person was also same thing. They also had skin picking there. Oh. So all of these behaviors motor. were included. All three of motor. all three yeah. of these uh, subjects. Um, so it was definitely motor. Very good. Engagement was defined as any hand-to-item contact with task materials in the absence of stereotypy, and these were considered so stereotypy and engagement which they, you know, they're categorizing these two kinds of behaviors, they, would, they were considered mutually exclusive. So if they were engaging in stereotypy while doing engagement, they would count that as stereotypy.
0: Oh, okay. That makes
4: sense. So if they yes. were doing...
0: So even if they were doing what they were supposed to do, but also...
4: Doing stereotypy.
0: It was just marked as a stereotype.
4: They would mark, exactly. That makes sense. And then for productivity, uh, a product was counted following a sequence of folding the item, placing the item in a pile and removing his hand. So... They conceptualize it as completing a particular the task. task. They accounted for interobserver agreement with a second nice. observer, which is necessary. And so, after doing all that, they concluded that the DRA contingencies reduced stereotypy to below baseline levels for each participant, and the DRO contingency uh, reduced stereotypy for only one participant. Mm,
2: well.
4: So, DRA also increased item engagement and productivity to a greater extent than DRO. So, thus they're concluding that DRA resulted in a superior treatment outcome when compared to DRO.
0: I feel like that makes sense. Even for the aspect, like, of – for the DRA, like, they had something else to do. Like, I just think of, like, okay, so their mind was occupied. Mm -hmm. They were occupying Mm -hmm. themselves in something else. Mm -hmm. But when you're just sitting there and it's just, like, interval-based, like, you just – you know, have more of an opportunity, I guess, like to do those, you know, the the stereotypy versus, like, if you're keeping your hands busy or keeping yourself busy, you might not have that urge to engage in it as frequently. Sure,
4: It's like it counts almost as an incompatible behavior, too. That's exactly
0: what I was thinking, too. They were saying that. Yeah. Because, again, if your hands are busy, you're folding a towel or or putting the stamp on or whatever, you don't have the opportunity to, you know, engage in hand flapping. They're incompatible.
4: Uh, Another thing that they touched upon was that with doing DRO, you might be indirectly reinforcing the behavior they were engaging in at the end of that interval. Mm. And I think they found that DRA was more valuable to use because you could actually connect that to a behavior you want to, you know, like an acquisition behavior.
0: Such a new skill. Right.
4: So that was something that I think they thought was a limitation to DRO. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing they pointed out was they felt that the DRA condition might have led to superior outcomes because there was a more frequency of reinforcement being delivered because right. DRO is attached to an interval whereas DRA is attached to right. the frequency of a behavior happening.
0: A so were point. they, and right, were they being reinforced, I guess, like let's say like you're putting the stamp on the envelope, like you could do that every 20 seconds mm-hmm. or whatever, so they're getting reinforcement, reinforcement, reinforcement versus like one know? minute of DRO. Well, right, you're right.
4: getting way less reinforcement. And I think mm-hmm. they did find that the conditions of DRA, they were reaching more rates of reinforcement. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. That's cool.
4: So they thought that it would be good for future studies to control for that.
0: So mm-hmm.
4: the way they put it was to unify unifying the DRO omission intervals and controlling for mean inter-reinforcement interval for DRA. So that probably be the best way to know, like to really isolate whether a DRA or a DRO procedure would could have the same result. because right, it
0: could be just the rate of reinforcement. So that's that's good that they said that because that's an interesting you know yeah. like question i guess and and you know to know if it really is like the reinforcement or is it just the different procedures
4: and uh, another thing they also noted was that you might increase the social validity of the intervention outcome by you know connecting to the caregivers and trying to pick mm-hmm. you know desired alternative tasks and including that in the treatment analysis so I thought so, it was um thought it was a good study in trying to compare those two things and really isolate and define like a DRA is something that we could do to stop stereotypy and it's more effective. And then on top of that, you can teach a skill.
0: Right. And I Very think totally. like it's important, you know, like we talked about all the differential reinforcement procedures today and just like everything, it's always going to be individualized to your clients. So like you right. have these great procedures, but figuring out what's the best for that specific like program and that specific learner for the family, you know, and just, going that way into knowing like which one is the most appropriate and the most effective and what
1: makes the most sense for each person to implement yeah like if you have a parent or a teacher or whoever is implementing the, the program if they're if they have more ease with a specific um intervention that's right. going to be what you should go with because right. there, there's the likelihood of it actually getting done mm-hmm. is going to be higher
4: right and then i think that's actually great that you mention that, because maybe a DRO procedure, I mean, it it did work for, I think it was either one, or it worked for some of the people in the study, so that might be a better procedure if that person is not able to attend. Right. You know? Wait,
1: and I, I can think of instances in schools that I've seen, yes. where I, I had in my mind one intervention, mm-hmm. but after talking to the people who were carrying it out, or were supposed to be carrying it out, I just kind of had to say, "We'll do this instead. Right. And not that one is... Not that it wasn't effective, but um, it was what they
0: were able to do. Right. And I just think of this one, like we were saying, like if they use the DRA and they're contacting reinforcement, like we were saying, every couple seconds because they were, you know, they would need someone right there. Boom, boom, boom. Right. But a DRO, if you have right. an interval and you can have someone coming over every five minutes versus every five seconds, I'm like it a just, yeah, that's exactly, of,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Wherein you, you might say off the bat, well, the DRA would work better, but I can't, is it feasible? In that situation right. It might not be so. Right
4: and, and, That's the good point And furthermore We do know that R O can work Right it, mm-hmm. does, it did still get positive mm-hmm. results Right It's just we're trying to say Which one's the best It seems like DRA is the best it's gonna Sure work. we going right. to get sure. more Consistent results
0: Right Very good Alright guys, so we threw a lot of information at you today and I just want to give a little recap before we end. So today we talked about differential reinforcement, which is a procedure that looks at both reinforcement and extinction. There are six types of differential reinforcement, which are differential reinforcement of alternative behavior, differential reinforcement of incompatible behavior, differential reinforcement of other behavior, differential reinforcement of high rates of behavior differential reinforcement of low rates of behavior, and differential reinforcement of diminishing behaviors. That was a little bit of a tongue twister, but I hope you stayed with me there. <laughs> so, Okay, guys,
1: just a reminder that we are an ACE provider. So if you are BCBA or BCABA looking to redeem a CEU, please reference the email that this podcast was sent to you in, for directions on how to redeem your CE, also please feel free to contact Alyssa Brown or myself, Melissa Riley, with any feedback, concerns, questions, um, anything you'd like to contact us with.
0: Any recommendations for future podcasts? Yes, we would love to hear you know different topics that you guys would like because you know we're Absolutely. always open to that and suggestions. Right. we'd love to you know give you guys that. So please feel free to reach out with that.
1: For anything involving task list information or even just real practice. Issues, right? Anything right. Um, does not need to be a CE in the future. It could just be something we just talk about. Yeah. Real life issues are the best ones to talk about. Um, anybody else have anything to add?
0: I just want to thank everyone again, and thank Leanne, Chris, and Kevin for joining us on yes. the podcast. Thank you so much. Appreciate all the hard work you guys have put into this, and we thank you all for listening. And you know, we hope that you're continuing to expand your knowledge and grow in the field. And love ABA as much as we all do. So thank you all so much. And we look forward to the next podcast.
1: Thank you guys. Have a great one.